Welcome to Crash Chords Autographs. Today, Matt welcomes Gary O, podcaster, producer, and nerd hailing from New York City. As the holidays are finally upon us, this episode of Autographs is a bit more casual, with Matt and Gary delving into a lengthy conversation on pop culture as a whole. They chat about Gary's experience with conventions, with interviews, and with creating content. They chat about his previous appearance on the Crash Chords podcast, and finally, they cover the top 10 movies of 2016 according to Box Office Mojo. And so, from Disney to superheroes to gaming and more, here's presenting Matt Storm and Gary O. And welcome to another episode of Crash Chords Autographs. I, of course, am Matt, a.k.a. Stormageddon, and my guest today is the one and only Gary O, famously Gary underscore O on Twitter. Famously. Famously. Well, it's funny you say that, because I went to a... a an event at the stand this past Tuesday, mm-hmm. and it's around the Bennington show from Sirius XM. Mm-hmm. And I've known them about 17 years. And randomly, they did a shout out to me in the crowd. Somebody came up to me and was like, I recently started following you on Twitter. I'm a fan of yours. That is the scariest thing ever. <laughs> like, I haven't produced anything except carbon dioxide in about two years. <laughs> So somebody saying they're a fan was weird to me. Well, I mean, I guess they're entertained by your social media presence. Which is scary. <laughs> a little bit. Because, you know. So now I know Gary through the burlesque community. We met through, I think, primarily Wasabasco is where we first met. Yes. And uh, we've been friends for a while. He's been a previous guest on my other podcast, the Album Review Show. He reviewed Weird Al with us. And uh, I wanted to have, I wanted to try and do something different for towards the end of the year because I've known Gary for a while, and he's not actually here promoting a recent project. I thought instead we could dive into some nerdy stuff that I don't normally get into on the show because, um, you know, this show isn't necessarily about music, but I try and keep conversations geared toward music, but I've interviewed... You know, plenty of non-music guests like Doc and Doc Wasabasco and Danger Doll and Ani Keister's been here, and I've had you know magicians and performers and all sorts of people on the show. So why not have a glorified nerd on the show? What glorified? I mean, you are a nerd. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, not not glorified. And, actual nerd on the and show. And I will point out that I am in your studio, and you have your your stuffed venom and your uh, toys out of the vending machines that are yeah. all Marvel. And it's like. <laughs> You are also a nerd. I am. Glorified or not. It's true. I, you know, this year has been stressful for so many people for so many reasons. Uh Uh-huh. It'll be nice just to, like, catch up and, like, what everybody was talking about and seeing and doing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, uh, we try and avoid talking about politics pretty much completely on both podcasts because nobody... There's no winning in that. No, and there's enough of it out there. I don't need to add to it. Um, But, but yeah, no, I also like the... I I mean, we've had great talks before about comic book movies. Um, Famously, I was a guest on your podcast that you used to do and talked about The Wolverine, (laughs) which I had a blast doing. Um, And there's been many a comic book movie since then that have come out. Yes. And uh, many a a movie that have come out since then. Um, And so... You know, I've, I guess let's start with, you know, as far as I know you haven't really been producing or working on content 
currently, um, what have you mostly been doing when it comes to nerd-related stuff? I know I've been seeing you at shows lately. Um, we've famously run into each other at just about every Nerdcore show. Yes. Um, so what have you kind of been consuming over the last year? Um, I've discovered in the last couple of years, it's surprising me, but the way that others create content now, mm -hmm. I haven't watched a serialized show probably in about two years. Mm. I, I was watching Walking Dead for the first two seasons. Yeah. They got to the barn. <laughs> they took four months off, and it was like I tried to jump back in, and they when they killed the little girl zombie. Spoiler. Yeah. But it, it's... Uh, no, I know. It's like six seasons later, so yeah. it doesn't really matter. But the way everybody else has been consuming yeah. has made it weird because now we have... Binge culture. Yeah. And I hate binge watching. Yeah. I, I watched some Lost. I wasn't a Lost Head or whatever they yeah. call themselves. Me neither. But even with um, uh, Heisenberg. Yeah. Why am I breaking? Oh, breaking, uh, bad? breaking bad. Yes. I was like, why is my brain breaking? Yeah. He was on SNL this week in a not too funny sketch, but whatever. Um, there's some charm to that week in between episodes where everybody's processing what happened, yeah. guessing, anticipating, and there's weight put on the viewer where they have to dissect it. Like, yeah. I don't have HBO. My sister changed her password, so I can't use her <laughs> HBO Go anymore. But, like, with Westworld, I'm aware of what the show was and is and how everybody was trying to figure out who was what and where they fit into everything. Yeah. And there's something amazing to that because there's always the people who are right, mm -hmm. people who are wrong, and the people who somewhere in the middle. Sure. But it, when you binge watch, all of that is taken away. I had dated someone who only binge watched and somehow binge watched multiple things at one time. See, I couldn't do that. And it's like, I like the process. Like, I'm a nerd. Yeah. When we did our spoiler topic discussions on Average Intelligence, which is still out there on iTunes, um, we didn't review. Because, yeah. you know, nerds don't want to review. They want to know. They pick that. I used to call them my craw moments. The yeah. stuff that got stuck in my craw and pulled me out of a movie. Yeah. They want to know how they got the costumes wrong. Yeah. Or, you know, Wolverine would never say something like that. Yeah. Or the, the love interest just thrown in to be there. Right. And that's what the nerd mind needs to break down yeah. and take ownership of. And I don't think, like, that whole binge mentality, it's like, there's never been anything about binge eating that's considered yeah. healthy. Right. So why put a, an unhealthy term on a habit that doesn't necessarily need it? And, and you just sit there. You don't have to break it down. You don't have to, like, wrestle with the character's uh, emotions or the weight of what they're going through. It's like, oh, how will they resolve that? Let me wait five minutes. I'll see you on the next episode. Right. I, I Even when something is released all at once mm -hmm. on Netflix or whatever, I will only watch maybe two episodes at a time. No, and now you have to fight that mentality. Yeah. Like... How soon do you think you're putting out this episode? Uh, it'll be out in a few days. Okay. We're recording this the Friday of uh, Rogue One Weekend. Yes. So people have been seeing it since Wednesday. Mm -hmm. 
came out seven o'clock last night. I'm seeing it tomorrow afternoon. I have had to change my habits now because nobody respects other people's, you could say time, you could say their experience with something. Sure. And like, I don't, I have an idea of what Rogue was is. I know its place in the overall Star Wars story. Yeah. I mean, the broadest spoiler statement you can make, it's, it's what gets the death, I'm going to stop clapping. It's what gets the Death Star plans into Princess Leia's hands at the start of episode four. Yeah, right. And the abstract I've heard about it is it, it's grittier. Um, it, it's it's a war movie. It's not a Star Wars movie, and it's yeah. why I'm excited about it. It would be nice to be watching a Star Wars movie that has nothing to do with the Skywalkers yeah. or Jedi. Yeah. Um, I've heard that Darth Vader is in it, but yes. very, very sparingly, and as this kind of overwhelming force as opposed to this character. He's just kind of there. Um, it's funny you bring up binge watching because I feel similarly, I can binge watch, but I don't do it as much as I used to. I find the only series that I could binge watch, and it's because I feel like they're being structured in a way that actually benefits from being on Netflix is the Marvel Netflix series. I feel like a lot of those shows are kind of built as a giant movie that's then chopped up. And so while the episodes do have an ending, you get to that moment, like we just, me and my wife just finished Luke Cage, which was phenomenal. And I never after an episode went, God, I need a break. Like even the really intense moments were paced in a way where I was ready for the next one. Whereas Jessica Jones, because it was way more emotionally intense, there were episodes where I needed to stop watching. Like, I couldn't because it just got so dark. Um, but those are the only shows that I've really happened to binge watch. Shows that existed on network TV that I watched later, I watched episode one at a time, two at a time. Well, I think there's something with past catalog binging. Yeah. Where it's, you're not going to have to really worry about sharing the experience with others. Right. Everybody who was interested in it has jumped on that wagon. They've yeah. watched it. They processed it. Um, there have been a couple of comedians I know famously three years after a series, somebody at the start of this year, yeah. binge Breaking Bad yeah. and live tweeted it. Yeah. So everybody else in the world was like, oh, it's cute. They're up to that part. Yeah, and you can kind of and, see and, where they're at. And then it becomes a phenomenon. But it's also, like, since you are the music person... <laughs> It's weird, and this is kind of... I'm working on an idea for my next podcast. Mm -hmm. With the death of David Bowie at the start of the year, mm -hmm. I realized I had never heard an entire David Bowie album. Okay. I never had those musical influences in my life. I mean, I grew up in the Bronx, so I either heard... Hot 103.5 through the walls at 2 in the morning. <laughs> and when I was about 16, my mother went through a country-western phase with new country. <laughs> so I... And my older sister, her influence on me was playing the Vincent Price part of Thriller, turning off the lights in the house and chasing me with the Gene Simmons album cover. <laughs> so I didn't have somebody who was like, dude, you have to sit down and listen to uh, Ziggy Stardust. Right. And my father listened to CBS FM, so it was all oldies. Yeah. So when David Bowie died, I tried to go on Spotify, and I was trying to pull, like, oh, what track should I get? Because 
yeah. I'm not paying for the premium service. I just need this. Right. And I had friends yelling at me. It's like, no, you have to listen to the album. Yeah. It's like, like I know you. I wouldn't approach yeah. you about it. So I, I think I, I kind of want to do a Humans of New York style media thing where sit down with someone and something I have never heard, seen, read, whatever, and they do the passionate sell to me and then we kind of talk or discuss it. And it's so weird because I think it's that ownership thing that some, number one, some people just don't have time. It's the way the world is. But the other is people don't want to mess it up. Right. And I I want to get maybe 10 in the bag before I even start posting them. Sure, makes sense. I did the same with this show. I had three or four episodes banked before it started, and now it's been running for over two years. So, But it's like, yeah, you want you need a couple to show people, oh, this is what the idea is if yeah. they want to listen. Sure. And I think it's good. Some people, they've told me they really haven't heard something like it. Mm-hmm. It does sound like an original idea, and I think when wanting to put together something new, especially in today's media, it's always nice to have some kind of hook or catch. You know, that's important, something to get people's attention. Like, I'm at this awkward point where I'm trying to figure out how to have a YouTube presence when there's a million different kinds of YouTube videos and, like, from vlogs to reviews to Let's Plays. And, you know, I if, if I do it, which I will eventually, I want something different. It's like, I can do a vlog, but... I don't. I mean, I did a solo episode of this podcast once because someone canceled on me day of. So I was like, well, forget it. I'm going to record anyway. And I did, and it was nice. It felt a little self-indulgent. But after like a half hour of it, I was like, I have nothing left to say. And I know most vlogs are shorter than that. But I feel like finding some kind of like, I want to say shtick, but, you know, some kind of catch or hook, that'll help kind of, I think, get more ears on whatever it is you're doing, more eyes. Because there is a project I have my friend Brandon called Fangirl TV. Right, of course. And um, we, it grew out of, we, you know, all of the same burlesque people I do. Right. And the neo-burlesque where it's more geek-based and they have acts dependent on culture. I mean, even Danger Doll, like you brought up, has a Sonic the Hedgehog act. Sure. Where she just does a blue mohawk and twirls a blue umbrella to do, be the spinning Sonic. Yeah. So we, we started with doing burlesque shows where they would do their routines and discuss right. uh, the influences of the acts. Then I have this weird ability to just step in it. Okay. And, and just make contacts. And about, um, good Lord, it's about six years ago now, I managed to be on the viewer army of G4 TV right. for New York Toy Fair. And... I just glad-handed every person. Yeah. I interviewed um, Todd McFarlane, and they had, like, four or five questions for him, and I managed to make it a 25-minute interview. Yeah. Just because I know his interest. I asked geeky questions. I asked sports-themed questions. They wanted me to ask. It was during the Tim Tebow phenomenon. It's like, when you do the Tim Tebow figure, are you going to do him doing the Tebow in the packaging? And he gave a very sincere answer, which yeah. wasn't interesting. Yeah. It's like, no, because he's doing that for his faith, and we're not going to package him in a way that he could feel we're mocking or exploiting it. You that don't makes wanna, sense. Yeah, but you don't want to hear that right, of course. on your fun whatever. But it got to the point where the people who ran Toy Fair, I finagled credentials, and we went back the next year, 
and he saw us walking through and he grabbed us and wanted us to interview him for his new stuff. And it's like, he remembered us. Yeah. And wants to talk to us. And it's, I mean, even the Underground Toys people, uh, Robin, who handles their marketing, they handle mostly the uh, Doctor Who and some Star Wars stuff. Mm-hmm. When he, she pointed something and I didn't have to tell me what it was and yeah. I can ask details, it's different than all the other media where it's just show us your most pa- famous stuff. Right. So we were then going, I got credentials to go to Star Wars Celebration mm-hmm. and a lot of the Read Pop conventions and we did interviews with geek girls. Right. And when you get anybody who's passionate about something and yeah. you tell us why you're passionate about this. Right. We got great interviews, but it's a thing where Brandon, my partner, went to NYU. Yeah. He has the equipment. He has the training. He knows all of that stuff. Right. A more personable can ask the questions and get us to that point, but just getting the product out. Yeah. And like even now... We're lucky in New York, there's a YouTube space. Yeah. On my personal channel, because I had some burlesque routines and I had Jello Wrestling from a friend's charity event. Yeah. I got subscribers. You need needed 500 in the time to get invited up there yeah. to be allowed to use their equipment. World changed. Now you need 10,000. Yeah. And it's like, I'm the kind of person who would need your resources. Yeah. The people who have those kind of followings now... The, they don't need the resources. Yeah. Yeah. And, like, even just the networking events. I went to two of them there. Yeah. And I was just getting on the fringe. And we... It's... I want to do more of that because it really was fun. And, like, yeah. I like passionate people. Right. Sure, of course. And it's... Even with burlesque, there's... I've been to the entry-level events, like yeah. this, they do student showcases, Yeah. And, and people who are just learning their thing. I went to a friend's thing at Coney Island last weekend, mm-hmm. and there are the people who can really do the subtle wink and nod, like you watch Hazel Honeysuckle. Sure. Nothing's huge and elaborate, lots of costuming, Right. but the performance is subtle. This girl performed to a... It was a Christmas version of Bohemian Rhapsody. Okay. But she was performing to the lyrics of the song. Oh, interesting. Interesting, but it was very spastic. It was very... It wasn't a performance. It was an interpretation. Sure. And I'm not... It wasn't... There was no... I'm not going to say skill because I tried to do stand-up for the first time this year. Yeah. It takes a lot of nerve to get on stage fully clothed and yeah. just exposing your thoughts. Yeah. Didn't take off my clothes. Yeah. Still scared crapless. Right, sure. So I respect the nerve to get on stage. Right. But it's something different than someone who's just finding their voice. Right. Compared to somebody who knows their role in that world like a yeah. Hazel does. So it's... It's the same, like you said, with social media. Anybody um, can... There's lots of toy reviews. Yeah. And there's lots of wrestling reviews, because I follow wrestling. And there's lots... Even with podcasts, there's so many movie reviews or TV reviews or everything like that. I thought with 
average intelligence, me and Nate offered something different with the spoiler topic discussions. Right. We, we got a modest following. Right. It was nothing we could get sponsorship on. Sure. But it's... I, I loved having the opportunity to express my opinions, yeah. my interest, and, you know, near the end we were getting a little old married coupled. Yeah. I mean, that happens. Yeah. And, I mean, the, the thing is that uh, it, it's both good and bad that anybody can create media now. It's way more accessible. It's way easier. And so I think finding your stride and your, your gimmick, if it were, uh, is easier than actually starting to do it because starting to do it, you just have to do it, you know. And so, uh, you know, you being on average intelligence is what brought you on to to my other podcast um, when you and Nate joined us and we reviewed Weird Al. And I thought after you reached out to me on Facebook that'd be great to have you on this show. And instead of me interviewing you about what you've worked on, since you kind of already gave us the the bullet point uh, of your past, um, and that if you really want to hear more about Gary's history, you can listen to that episode of Crash Chords podcast, where he and Nate were guests and brought us Weird Al's Running With Scissors, which we reviewed. And actually, I was discussing it with a friend two days ago when we first started talking about this, and she was like, that was really interesting. I don't know if I've ever listened to a whole Weird Al album. <laughs> and then uh, started listening to the essential Weird Al on Spotify. Oh, nice. Very so cool. Like, you know, we're doing our thing. Right, sure. But I thought it'd be interesting to talk about kind of some of the nerdy things that have come out this year, you know, either whether it's movies or TV. I mean, like I mentioned Luke Cage before, which I happen to really love. But, um, you know, I thought it'd be interesting to engage in a nerdy side of myself that I don't often express on the show because not all of my guests are related to video games or TV or comic books or toys. Um, are you still going to those toy conventions? Um, they they do it President's Day weekend. Mm-hmm. And I can definitely still get into the Hasbro presentation stuff, and that's, you know, Transformers, G.I. Joe's, the bigwigs. Yeah. The... the Base uh, the standard toy fair show. Yeah, might be a little more challenging. Gotcha. Only because they 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 need to see your credentials and your viewer and followership. <laughs> yep, it's why I haven't been able to get back to Comic Con since it blew up. The New York Comic Con, since they changed their registration process, I've never been able to get in as press or professional since the change happened. It's New York Comic Con is really interesting because. Yeah. I was one of the nerds there within the first two years. Yep, same. And going, and then once they offered the Thursday premium ticket, yep. well, we'll give you a day with like 30% capacity. Yeah. It was good. Yeah. I, I'm honestly debating not going anymore. Yeah, I haven't gone pretty much since I couldn't get... I went one year after I could get press passes. I got uh, passes a gift from my uh, then-girlfriend's parents, and... But the Thursday, that year was the first year that that Thursday day with 30% capacity wasn't. It was a premium package that you could purchase, and so it was like 80% capacity, 70% capacity. And so it made it not fun, which is a bummer, because that press day, the first couple of years I went as press, when it was only 30% capacity, anyone could talk to anyone. Yes. So you could talk to, I got to talk to everyone at Nintendo, I got to talk to everybody, you know, at, at Universal, like whoever was there, I got to talk to them and actually have interesting conversations. I got to go to a panel with um, Kevin Conroy back when Arkham City was coming out. And you know, I sat in a panel with the lead singer of Coheed and Cambria and Kevin Conroy and got to write an article about it. 
which I've not been able to accomplish again since. I think there's a lot of tourists, I'll yeah. say, into geek culture now. Yeah. That just go, to, it's basically going to the zoo. Yeah. When they go there. And even, I know you've heard about the San Diego lines for merch and, yeah. and exclusives. Toy Tokyo's booth now with and Funko yeah. do that at New York Comic Con. Oh, wow. And there's some of the weird little booths still around. Yeah. But it's either they combined it with the anime festival. So a big right. chunk of it is now anime. I have nothing against anime. Yeah. I've watched Full Metal Alchemist, Dragon Ball Z way back in the day. Yeah. And Ninja Scroll. That's right. my anime knowledge. Yeah. So that takes away from the floor. Um, one of the areas that was their Gotham stage, I think they called it last mm-hmm. year, they now turned it into a VR area. Mm-hmm. A- and it all feels like more marketing. Like yeah. I, even if I don't go and buy a lot of art from the artist in yeah. uh, Artist Alley, I always go there because it still has that feel of what it should be. Yeah. And there's, I love cosplayers. I I love the creativity of it. When I'm trying to get from point A to point B and you're having a photo shoot in the middle of the aisle. Yeah. Sure, of course. So, yeah. Only because it's the only way, you know, John's wife will let him take pictures of women in uh, scantily clad outfits. (laughs) So he'll take the advantage. And, you know, this is... This is now 41-year-old me. Right. You know, I mean, once you hit a certain age, you don't want to deal with certain things that have to deal with crowds and tight spaces and people not moving. Um, I do like that we live in a world now that the things we're into are not just considered childish things. Yeah. It's it's more socially acceptable. There's a, a, an easier access point. I mean, this idea, like, for me, the big thing in the last couple of years, so I have a PS4. I got it as a wedding present, which I'm very thankful for and I love. Um, I played Fallout 4. Didn't love it. It wasn't my favorite of the Fallout games. My wife had played the Fallout mobile game, Fallout Shelter, and loved you know, taking care of her fallout shelter and getting people to do jobs and so the resource management. Her Tamagotchi. Right. Yeah. And so when the the new Fallout 4 came out, she wanted to try it because of that concept, which you can still do a version of that in the full game, but she also started playing a first a third person shooter that she got really into. And it was kind of cool to see someone who has some experience with video games, but is by no means a gamer, get really into a game based on an access point from somewhere else. And I think that's fascinating. I mean, we're talking a few days after Nintendo finally launched their first third-party app on another another system. They released a Mario game for not Nintendo. On the iOS. On the iOS, and I've played it. And it, it, you know, it feels like an iOS game, but it still has enough elements of Mario to feel like a Mario game. And that's pretty neat and and exciting. This idea that we could get a Metroid or a Zelda on iOS would change the face of mobile gaming completely. I think Nintendo, even though they've kind of walled themselves off from the rest of the gaming world, Mm -hmm. and since the Wii launch has kind of been more gimmick than substance, it's good that they're looking outside of their walls. I mean, Mm -hmm. they brought in Sonic when Sega went away. Yeah. But now, yeah, it's. I only have an iPod. I don't have an iPhone. Yeah. 
No expandable memory. Expandable memory. No, thank you. <laughs> but it, it's yeah. I downloaded it last night because one of the vloggers I follow, Xavier Woods from uh, the WWE, has sure. his up, up, down, down gaming channel. Yeah. He excitedly played it like a day and a half before it was released, and yes, single hand iTunes gaming. Yeah. It's exciting and. You want to think like, oh, this will get young kids back into it and that will build their audience. But no, kids, they're on their iPads. They, My nephew, when he was four, could find videos on YouTube. Yeah, yeah. Oh. My, my mother's almost 70. She can't find her voicemail on her phone. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, it's like my nephew's been playing Minecraft since he hadn't got an iPad and since he had you know, opposable thumbs, essentially. Like, he was born playing these games. And so I think it's mostly exciting because it'll allow... I think the access points will blend more, and it'll be less about, oh, you're a casual gamer, which I thankfully haven't heard in a very long time. But, like, it also gets me excited for the Nintendo Switch and this idea that mobile gaming and and sitting-at-home console gaming are starting to blur as well. I love my 3DS, and I love having a completely mobile system that doesn't connect to the TV, but the idea that you can eventually play the mobile games, the games that you can take with you, and the games from home on the same device, hopefully if it actually can do that, is really exciting. Wasn't that one of the proposed selling points of the Wii U when it was coming out? Correct. The Wii U was supposed to do that... Well... It wasn't a selling point of the Wii U. It was misconstrued that the tablet controller would be able to do that. But what they meant was that the tablet controller could play it anywhere in your home. Like, you could turn it off on the TV, someone could watch TV, and you could keep playing the game on the tablet, which it can do. But this is the next step. Yes. And I think it's exciting. I mean, I I didn't buy the Wii U. I bought the Wii. I didn't love it. I liked it. I didn't buy the Wii U. I have a PS4 because I got it as a wedding present. You know, as you get older, buying every console that comes out just becomes harder. It was never part of my the equation in my life even growing up growing up it was but under my own steam and i bought it instead of a lot of other stuff and it's one of those things now where i see the nintendo switch and that's interesting to me if i can get a system that plays third-party games you can take the third-party games with you and it still has first-person nintendo titles that's a console i want to buy that's something that'll compete with my pc that i can play everything on i i've I bought a PS3 maybe two years, three years ago mm-hmm. on a Black Friday deal. And it's the only reason I upgraded. And i that's more of my streaming device, but I have right. some of the games. I jumped on uh, Disney Infinity because they had a lot of Star Wars content. Sure, of course. And they're killing that off, which I'm frustrated about. Of course. Um, and I'm looking now because there's two major titles that are purportedly coming out next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kingdom Hearts 3. Mm-hmm. And the next Red Dead Redemption. Yes. Um, Red Dead Redemption is for sure confirmed. The Kingdom Hearts 3 still lives in that nebulous place it always lives. Always. And it's, I mean, I know with an X four years ago, five years ago, they were talking about that one coming out soon. Yeah. So that's why I upgraded at that point. And now you, it's weird because exclusive titles are maybe... 5% 5% of each console's... Barely, even now these days. There's so much more crossover than there used to be. So it's like you... The only thing is who you want to game with. Because mm-hmm. you're not going to be in the same room. It's all going to be online. And loyalties. And like at the current time, I have a lot more 360 titles than I do PS3. Sure. And I know that there's some backwards compatibility now being introduced 
with the Xbox One. Uh, right. The One didn't start with it, but now they're changing it. Which, had I known that at the time, I would have wanted an Xbox. But at the time, I decided I wanted a PS4. Was I liked the 360, but I didn't love its online. And I was like, well, if the games aren't backwards compatible anyway, I'll just keep my Xbox 360 and go back to Sony, because I like a lot of Sony stuff. Then after I got it, they announced the backwards compatibility, which Sony is still not doing. So... Whatever. But that said, I mostly wanted a PS4 to have a device to stream on, to watch Netflix, Hulu, all that other stuff. And I was interested in trying to get back into some of the franchises that I've tried but not really played a lot of, like your Uncharted's and stuff like that. And so I like my PS4. I still mostly use my computer now that I have a desktop. I have a custom-built desktop. And you're right. It's all about loyalties. It's, and for me, I'll always be more loyal to Nintendo's handhelds because they'll always be stronger than their consoles. Yes. The, the Switch gives it a possibility for that to even out, because 90% of the games you can get on both Xbox and PlayStation, you can also get on Steam. So I'd rather have a Nintendo system, because none of those games will... You know, a Metroid, a, Le a Zelda, a, a Mario will never... As of now, in this moment, as we're recording, will never be available on Steam. That said, that could also change. Um, but I've also been in this place with gaming where I, I just... As an adult with limited time, I feel the less of a pull to play every game that comes out. There'll always be the big titles, like anything Mass Effect related, pretty much, but anything Bioware related, I'll always feel a strong pull for, you know, your Zeldas, your Marios, but, you know, in certain PC games, but besides that, I kind of let a lot of stuff fall to the wayside. I think just price point, because I remember the days when an, an original NES cartridge were 50 or $60. Yes. And then we got to the point where, yeah, 30 or when it's on sale or whatever it is. Games that are consistently 65 now seem ridiculous to me, especially an unproven commodity in my eyes. Right. Like, I jumped on, I'm a huge Portal fan. Sure. So when it was the orange box and it was a $20 bundle and let's see what this is all about. And you got a Team Fortress and a bunch of the Half-Life titles. Yeah. It, it's a great way to jump in. Yeah. And if they do another Portal just for the sense of humor alone, I want it. Yeah. I mean, I loved Portal 1 and 2. I would easily buy another one. I feel like that's the thing about gaming that's changed now that's starting to follow in this, in kind of in the way that movies have been doing for years is there's a legacy to it. Like, like I will buy any Zelda game that comes out because I love Shigeru Miyamoto and I've, I've liked to loved every Zelda game that has come out. Same for anything that, well, there's more of an exception now, but in the early days, anything Square Enix did or Squaresoft or whatever it was. Like, I love Mario RPG, I love Chrono Trigger, I love the first seven Final Fantasies, eight and nine, it gets a little shaky. Mm -hmm. But, you know, there's a legacy there that I'll always go back to that publisher. Or like I was talking about before with Bioware. like. Their, their games, for the most part, always have incredible storytelling. Even if the gameplay is lacking in places, the storytelling is always fantastic. And I think that's something that, like, a lot of movies, have, like Marvel, the reason I still pay money in the theater to see every one of their movies is because I've never been disappointed. I've always, I've, I've always come out of the proper Marvel Studios movies either having had a good time or being challenged and really, really enjoying it. And I think that's why I'll always continue to pay in theaters to see their movies. It's funny you bring it up, because I did do some preparation. Some prep. Because I, I, I figured it would come up, because movies are definitely my thing. Yeah. I grew up with 
my father, when it was our visitations, always taken us to the theater, usually the $2 second showing theater up in Scarsdale, <laughs> where I saw flash dancers at six years old with my sisters throwing their hands over my eyes to protect my virtue and making me bleed from the bridge of my nose. <laughs> the fact that I still watch movies after that says a lot. But yeah, it, that's it's, true. It's really interesting when you look at the numbers because I went to Box Office Mojo and I have the list of the top 100 movies. Mm-hmm. We'll stick to the top 10 if we bleed into other stuff. One uh, studio had five of the top 10 movies, of the grossing movies of the year. And let me guess, it was Disney. Yes. Of course. And, and it's interesting because... Uh, can you guess what number one is, or do you have really good sight where you already saw I do already it? have really good sight. So, yeah, the number one movie being Finding Dory, which I have not actually seen yet, is interesting to me only because, well, I guess it's back to that legacy thing. Like, when a new when a new Pixar movie comes out that's a sequel to a previous version, people are going to go see it. Yeah, and I did see it. I went to, um, have you been to a... An Alamo Draft House yet? I've not been to the new one in in New York yet. In in uh, Brooklyn, right? The Alamo Draft House. There's the one new in Brooklyn. one is Brooklyn. I've been going to the one in Yonkers for three years now. Right. Yeah. And they do cool things. And for Finding Dory, they did an all-you-can-eat cereal buffet Saturday morning showing. Oh, cool. Which was me, my girlfriend, and about forty kids. <laughs> which was a little creepy, but it was enjoyable, and it wasn't a challenging movie. But of I, a lot of kids' movies aren't, and it's sure. funny because. When you look at the top ten, at number three you had The Secret Life of Pets. At number six you had Zootopia. Number four was uh, the live-action Jungle Book. So there's there's always a lot of family content that they want to get out there. Right. With enough that's bleed over interesting. Yeah. Because I saw Secret Life of Pets just because Louis C.K. was the lead actor. Right. And I had heard about that. I didn't actually get to see that one. But you mentioned Zootopia, which I finally saw last night with my wife. We watched it because it's on Netflix now. And Disney's starting to do that. They're starting to put their movies on streaming services, which is fantastic. Smart of them, yeah. Um, and Zootopia was... What's interesting to me about Zootopia is that as, as a kid's movie, it's fun, it's silly, it's got its sad moments. But all in all, it's a fun movie. Movie, but it's dealing with some very hem- heavy theme work that I was not expecting. Like, if you told me that a kid's movie, pure Disney, not even Pixar, just pure Disney, would deal with sexism, racism, you know, economies and, and city development and all of this stuff, police work, like, I just, I just would have never believed it. It didn't seem like anything like that from the trailers. And what I, but I'm kind of happy that the trailers were just the gags from the movie and no narrative. I think that's how they're smart because yeah. anytime you want someone to hear your message, you just got to get them in the door. Yeah. I mean, it was the same with Wreck-It Ralph. Like, Wreck-It Ralph had great messaging, but on the surface it was, hey, here's a video game movie. Qbert's in it. You'll yeah. like it. And and I think that's kind of brilliant for Disney to find their way in, anim- in the new computer-generated animation that's not Pixar. They do great work with Pixar, but to the fact that they have their foot in the door with non-musical movies that stand on their own two feet on their own is really great now. It, it, it definitely is. And I'm trying to remember the last time they tried to go back to standard animation. Uh, see, I think the last regular animation movie they did was The Princess and the Frog. I think there was one other after. I think. Oh, was there? Okay, I, I'm having trouble remembering. I, I saw The Princess and the Frog. It actually was pretty good. 
um, surprisingly. I mean, the music was phenomenal because of the the time period they're emulating and the the the, the music scene they're emulating. But yeah, I think I think Wreck It Ralph was one of the first non musical computer animated movies, and one of the first musical ones they did was Tangled, which yes. was which was CG, followed up by uh, Frozen, of course, the famous Frozen movie. How is it still that strong? See, the narrative was fantastic. I will argue to to the to my dying day that one of the best stories and twists in a Disney movie, the fact that family love was what it was about, and they mocked the whole princess falling in love with the prince right away story. Like that was brilliant, taking a knock at their own formula. But the music, besides Let It Go, which did have that pop, you know. Uh, eye-catching and earworm sensibility, the rest of the music falls kind of flat to me. Do You Want to Build a Snowman also is memorable. But like a lot of the other music, to me anyway, fell flat. I know people who love it, um, and that's great. I just, I don't, I don't, I, whereas I have, I haven't seen it yet, but I have really high hopes for Moana, yeah. because I love The Rock, I of course am a Hamilton nerd, and so like, to see The Rock sing words written by Lin-Manuel Miranda is really exciting for me. Um, but it also doesn't surprise me that probably more than half the the top movies are Disney's because Disney also owns two of the biggest properties in nerd history, Star Wars and yes. Marvel. And they had the two Marvel, both Marvel movies are in the top ten this this for the yes. year, right? Uh, Civil War. Civil War was the number two, making over four hundred million. Wow. And. Uh, Doctor Strange was ninth with 222 million. But at 222 million coming out in November? Well, ain't bad. But the thing that's really interesting to me, it was the year of the sea level superhero. Yeah. You had the amazing, shocking success of the highest earning R rated film ever, Deadpool. Yeah. yeah. And it was everything should not have worked with it because Deadpool was in. X-Men, Origins, Wolverine. Yeah. Completely wrong. Yeah. But just by sure force of will by Ryan Reynolds... He got it right. He got it made and got it right. Yeah. Because he played Deadpool as Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. And it, it's just the smartass and that energy, and it was right. And the people who wanted Deadpool as a film got the character they wanted. Right. All of the fringe people who had to go to make it that successful... We're on board with it being not the norm. Yeah. Uh, then, like I said, you had Doctor Strange, the ninth highest grossing, who's been a Marvel character forever. Yeah. But has never been the focus of the universe. Right. He's mostly, like, in his modern incarnations, have shown up in Spider-Man cartoons, X-Men Avengers cartoons. Like, he's always been part of the team or supporting someone else, but he's never had his own show. But I think what's brilliant about what they what Marvel's been doing is they're taking some of those B-list heroes and making them stars just by letting the genre speak. Sure. You know, it, Guardians of the Galaxy was exactly that. I was a fan of the Guardians of the Galaxy, but most people aren't like me. Most people never read the comics. And I, even as a fan, was only sort of familiar with the comics. So I went to see a good sci-fi movie, and after seeing it, I went, this is what new Star Wars should be. Yeah. And new Star Wars was almost that. I would still say that I probably enjoyed Guardians of the Galaxy better than The Force Awakens. But Guardians of the Galaxy just, once you let go of, oh, well, I don't know who these heroes are, you're free to enjoy it as a genre film. Yeah, because it's just sci-fi and yeah. it's big and it's... You have your white human male center that we can all relate with and let the world happen around it. Yeah. 
but it's you have the character of Groot and still that moment where he skewers eight of the enemies, yeah. whips them around, then turns and just smiles. Yeah. It says so much about the character that only has three words of dialogue. Yeah. And it, it like you said, it was very big. It is, it hits on sci-fi tropes. Mm-hmm. Throws in modern sensibility and, and snarkiness, because that's all Star-Lord was in that yeah. movie. Uh, you have a performance by Dave Bautista as yeah. Drax. Which was, I mean, unexpected and phenomenal. It was so on point, because he just had to be flat and yeah. literal. Yeah. So he was the ultimate straight man. Yeah. It's like, you don't even have to try. Just, just... Accept everything that comes into your world as flat truth and react to it. And with a line like, uh, nothing goes over my head. I have very good reflexes and I would grab it. Yeah. And he and he did it phenomenally. And it's given him a movie career, you know. I, I didn't see the last uh, 007, though. I didn't either. I haven't seen it yet. I've wanted to. Um, but going back to Doctor Strange, the interesting thing about Doctor Strange is it did the same thing. Like, I like Benedict Cumberbatch as much as anybody else. You know, he's pretty. He's a good actor. Though his New York accent is atrocious, <laughs> but be that as it may. Like, the movie wasn't afraid to be funny. And the special effects told the story. They had some of the best special effects I've ever seen in a Marvel movie. And it was and, and, and people kept telling me you have to see it in three D, which I didn't because I as a 3D. well as a glasses wearer, I it's hard for me to get into three D. But after seeing it, I kind of want to, just for those mind melding special effects moments. See, I don't know, because there were I know that it was supposed to be an unreality that they're having that big chase fight through yeah. at the end, it became such a kaleidoscope yeah. that it felt completely unreal. And I know that's an unfair thing to say in modern sci-fi movies yeah. or action movies because everything's green screen. Right, sure. And that was kind of what brought people back with Force Awakens and yeah. I'm guessing Rogue One, even though I haven't heard as many details. Right. Because we were going back to mostly practical Mostly practical effects, yeah. And, like, yes, I get it. It, He's Doctor Strange. It's all about the mystical and his sling ring and all this other abstract stuff. It it got a little just... For that ten minutes, and it it was fine. Yeah. I I appreciated the Dormammu ending and the turning back time and him creating his villain for the rest of the film. Spoilers. Yeah. But it's... I it was I can appreciate that it it isn't a misstep. Yeah. It wasn't my favorite of Marvel movies. Sure. Especially in a year where you had Civil War. Sure. Where it was just the splash page goosh of your childhood and we can foreshadow now I'm sure you've seen the Spider-Man Homecoming trailer. I have. And I am projecting so much on that trailer yeah. from what I saw in Civil War. Yeah. Because now, Tony broke up with Pepper. He's His best friend, Rhodey, got shot because he was in a battle he brought him in. Yeah. And now this 16-year-old kid he dragged into this world whose parents and his Uncle Ben, yeah. we all know the Uncle Ben story, are gone, yeah. who's desperate for family 
And Tony's being put in this position where he wants to protect this kid but have no responsibility to it. Right. I picked up on maybe my third look at the trailer, but it's like, and it's everything we want. Yeah, for sure. Well, I think, so the thing about Civil War is Avengers, Avengers 1, I still think, is one of the most solid team movies ever made. Avengers 2 had holes. I liked Avengers 2. I still love the new Incredible Hulk. I love Mark Ruffalo, but I felt like a lot of the stuff with Black Widow was weak. I felt like, so I love Hawkeye, but a lot of the Hawkeye stuff fell shoe- shoehorned. That said, Ultron was still great. It was still a good movie. But I felt Civil War was the Avengers movie we deserved. You know, it just, it felt like an Avengers movie, but it was a Captain America movie because he is still the center of this world. A lot of this is happening around him. And I just think it was structured in a way still had surprises and just told a story that sure if you're not following along could get a little overwhelming but if you've been following that universe that was the movie you've been waiting for because it brought a lot of it together and you know i think for everyone that that moment where peter parker is there as spider-man and has that moment and fights those people he's your foil your entry to the world when he's freaking out at all the cool stuff he's seeing he's the audience yeah and now to put him in Homecoming, which I am projecting a lot of high hopes for. I am cautiously optimistic. But that first scene I saw with the vulture was phenomenal and just gets me excited. You know, it seems like, thanks to Kevin Feige being involved now, that Sony's going to go a better, more cohesive route with this character that they've been trying to get right for so long and started off doing pretty okay. It's nice to come back to that. I'm glad he's actually going to be a kid Me from too. Queens. Yeah. Who, uh, in the trailer, mentions the Avengers. Yeah. And it's like, it's somebody, even though he's another British kid, Yeah, he's making the effort. I am going to be interested in the current environment with the African-American Mary Jane yep. Watson. Uh, it hasn't gotten the mainstream attention yet because yeah. they've still been putting it all together. Yeah. But in the current world and some people's very righteous, I want it the way it was when I was a kid. Which I hate. I I, I am shocked in my own growth, apparently, because yeah. I, I thought I'm aware of the world. Yeah. And I had friends who I thought were on pace with me and seeing yeah. how far behind they are. Yeah. And this isn't a judgment. Yeah. It's like, and what I've been saying since... Let's say November seventh, ninth, somewhere in that area. Yeah, I um, I benefit from being a lifelong New Yorker. Yeah, or anybody who's lived here for a long time. I went to a Catholic school with Muslim kids. Yeah, the guy who babysat me growing up was a very flamboyantly gay Puerto Rican dude. Yeah, you grow up in an apartment building, you're forced to deal with people. Of all different lifestyles, of all different religions. Yeah. I'm half Jewish, I'm half Catholic, Russian, Irish, and Italian. Everything about me, it's the melting pot everybody says America is. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people in this world that would benefit from influences. Yes. Other than people that look like them. Yeah. And that's all it is. No, and I agree, and I think that... First of all, I'm excited... At the casting in Spider-Man, you know, I was on board the Donald Glover train back in the day, you know, but also like that's another thing Civil War did really well. The problem with a lot of 
modern movies is they shoehorn in the token character, he's there and disappears. But T'Challa, the Black Panther in Civil War, was such a phenomenal and poignant character in that movie that it wasn't, here's that character that we're going to have in another movie later, we're just throwing him in. He was, he was the right focus at the right moments, you know, to help tell the story and tell his story. And getting that final uh, scene with Baron, Baron Zemo at the end, Perfect. It was yes. just phenomenal. I'm, I was already excited for Black Panther, but now I'm even more so excited for that movie. And anything we can get to, you know, bridge those roles and build them out and just do different things. Like the fact that um, uh, 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 Mordo in Doctor Strange is not some other white guy like in the comic books. Like Marvel is starting to push those boundaries. They should have been doing it sooner and still where's the Black Widow movie. But... They're at least starting to acknowledge their own faults and starting to push past it. I don't know if you've been watching the current season of Agent of Shield, Agents of Shield. I, I stepped away after season two. Okay, so in the new season, they Ghost, Ghost, Ghost Rider, and he's played by, uh, and he's a, a Spanish character, and he's played by a Spanish actor, and he is fantastic, and he it, it, it's it's playing off the ultimate Ghost Rider story that. The Ghost Rider has existed for thousands of years and had multiple hosts, and so he can pass from other bodies. And it was just a really interesting story. And the fact that they didn't just go to some white dude with brown hair who was like Evil Knievel and that they did something a little different, I thought was really great. I, it's I, all I can say is yes. Yeah. you need to. You need to change. Involve people. Yes, yeah. the world. It, it's growing, yeah. and there's always the talk of now. There's always a scene, especially in Michael Bay movies, yeah. where there has to be action in China. Yeah, and China has to be involved because it's the second largest uh, market for cinema in the world. And if you put it in a movie, they will go see it. Go see it. But yeah. we're and I will say, in regards to the Black Panther in Civil War, in a movie that has sixteen major characters. To introduce one and have the arc go from vengeance to pity by the end and have growth in this character. Yeah. I thought it was awesome. Um, I hope the Winter Soldier arc is over. Me too. I, I like I like uh, Sebastian Stan. I like his Winter Soldier. I feel like we need, a, we need him to either become a good guy or go away. And let that story rest. Yeah, you could go back to it, but I think like he need we need to put that story to rest so Captain America can be Captain America again. Because uh, I will say, when uh, the Winter Soldier happened, I originally was saying that the Avengers movie revealed Cap's weaknesses because yeah. he's the strategist and he's on his steroids or whatever the super serum is. Yeah, but. There are still gods and monsters and Iron Man, which is an amazing mechanized man. Yeah. And he's there, and he Cap is closer to the Black Widow, Hawkeye... Side of it, yeah. ...than he is the others. But then they did uh, Winter Soldier, where it was espionage, and it was all hand-to-hand combat, yeah. very close until the big, ridiculous fight in the sky with mm-hmm. all the hover carriers. This one had its moment of the big battle, and... It, it it still kept it amongst the people people with fantastic moments. Yeah. But yeah, they they've run their course. 
I think so too. I think the thing that made Winter Soldier such a strong movie is because again, you said it was an espionage film. It was a it was a genre film, and I think that's when Marvel is at its strength. Superhero movies are not a genre; they are a type, like science fiction or science fact or science fantasy. Like, but you can do something within that, and I think that you know the fact that Guardians of the Galaxy was a science fiction you know, science fantasy movie within the superhero universe, you know. That's, I think, where DC's biggest failings are, is they just want to make action movies, and superheroes have to be more than action. They make product. And I was going to say, um, on the flip side, there are the two big Warner Brothers superhero movies, DC movies that came out this year, where at number seven, you have Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. Right. Which somehow earned $330 million, but is considered a failure... In the product that was put out. Yeah. And then right behind it, you have uh, number eight, Suicide Squad, with $325 million that I really didn't enjoy. See, I didn't even see it. I didn't bother. So, uh, so I did see uh, uh, Batman vs. Superman, Dawn of Justice. A, because Jesse, Jesse Eisenberg actually piqued my curiosity. In the wrong way. Well, you know what? <laughs> I think for me, I'm glad that Lex Luthor was different. We needed something because the other characters had no interest. So I went to see that movie long after it had come out because I wanted to, to it had piqued my interest and I actually believe, I like Ben Affleck as an actor and I truly thought he'd be a good Batman, which I still believe he's a good Batman. But the problem with that movie is that there are no redeemable characters. You're literally rooting for no one until Gal Gadot comes. You're rooting for her in the 10 minutes she's in the doomsday fight where she's kicking ass and being awesome and then again you don't care about anything the 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 the, the Martha scene was dumb Jesse Eisenberg was was on the precipice of finding something interesting his Lex Luthor felt like a modern Lex Luthor you know a brat kid of a billionaire father running a social media empire or what felt like you know a social media empire which is funny considering he was the lead in Facebook the Facebook movie um but just still, I feel like didn't do enough. He didn't go far enough with that character. And that's what really killed me is that I thought he had something interesting with his Lex Luthor, but just didn't go far enough. What I was saying when it came out, the thing with Lex Luthor, he was never maniacal. He yeah. was always methodical. Yeah. There was method to the mayhem. Yeah. This one, it was just too all over the place. Mm-hmm. And everybody made a lot of comparisons to Heath Ledger's Joker. Yeah. Where it's, he, he just wants to cause chaos. And I think the thing, the biggest thing about that Lex Luthor that I did, did like is that his big speech moments are the only written word in that movie that I felt had impact. Like when he's on the roof with Superman, there was impact there. That scene I thought was good. Or like when he's talking to the senator in his in his in you know about the paintings in his in his home, there was impact there. But it wasn't found in all of the movie. And then like any time super, I like Henry Cavill. I think he's a good actor. But any time he was Superman, I just didn't care what he had to say. Yeah, he, it just didn't matter when he was Clark. Sometimes, but Superman, I just didn't care. And he's supposed to be one of the warmest, most caring characters in DC. When you write that character off, why would people come see your movie? Yes, and that's what kills me. I 
have been a lifelong Superman fan. Yeah. Oh, and to say at the outset, I hate Superman. He's my least favorite DC character. Green Lantern's my favorite. We won't talk about that movie. <laughs> but, you know, but that said, I still, at least watching the old Superman cartoons with Tim Daly doing the voice, like, you cared about Superman. Yeah. Even if you weren't a fan of him, you wanted to watch him and you cared. The weird thing about these movies is that they're forcing through what should be monumental moments in the Superman character's lifespan. Yeah. Even with the killing of Zod in Man of Steel, you didn't earn the weight of why taking a life by Superman matters. Yeah, the weight was only there for Superman fans, and it was done in a way to alienate them as well. That's it. And then it became, well, you got to wait to see what they do with that in the sequel. Yeah. What they did with it is Lex Luthor got his hands on Zod's body and turned created into Doomsday, Doomsday, which wasn't the Doomsday story. No. And you could have had, you didn't need them, the last 20 minutes of uh, BVS, yeah. Dawn of Justice, whatever you want to call it, didn't have to happen. We didn't no. need Doomsday. No. If you, the only value that came out of that was the Wonder Woman moments. And yeah. nobody has had a bad word of Wonder Woman since then. Right, because she's the only redeeming thing about that movie. Like even, But even there's a moment with her that wasn't redeeming, which is when she finds the files. Oh, and God. it's the mini trailers of all the other characters. That was the worst. There is no effort. There, There's no reward to finding... <coughs> Excuse me, I'm getting yeah. passionate. It's all right. That's um, what we do here. There's no... There wasn't any hunting. No. There wasn't Here's any earning. Stuff. It was an email attachment. Yeah. And all of that, like, the biggest loss of all of that was Cyborg. Yeah. Because you have a generation who saw Teen Titans Go. Yeah. That probably about in their 30s now. Yeah. So you have about a 15-year window of its people that he was always presented as a major player yeah. in D.C., you have my generation where you heard the name, yeah. but he was he was on that Doctor Strange level where yeah. he was kind of in the background. They did, gave him a two-minute trailer in the movie yeah. of him on the wall and the uh, the box put to him yeah. and forming. And then that's when Bruce Wayne wakes up and they tease the... the uh, I'm forgetting the video game that they were playing up to. Gods Among Us. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, the, the DC game, Gods yeah. Among Us. Yeah. And that is implying that that's where they're going to. Yeah. Hopefully not in the the Justice League movie. Yeah. Because that is way too soon. I agree. I, so here's the thing. I will say since the Justice League movie trailer has come out after that, I have some hope for that only because Ben Affleck's taking a stronger production writing lead on that movie. And some of the scenes were funny and interesting, like his exchange with Barry Allen, his exchange with Aquaman was interesting. But the thing that kills me most about Dawn of Justice, the most, is I actually thought that Doomsday being there was interesting if other stuff wasn't there. But be that as it may, the only reason Doomsday was there was to, spoiler alert, kill Superman. And you didn't even get that because within seconds before it ends, you find out he's alive. Not that anyone would have believed he was dead anyway. And so I think that's why I get the most upset is that they just tried to do everything in that movie and they did nothing. Well, I, they were doing 
so much catching up to the Marvel Universe. In in a one movie, and it's just too much. And it's why Wolverine Origins failed, among other things, is that they threw eighteen mutants in one movie and didn't develop any of them, just to throw them at Wolverine. They always liked Gambit. Let's give him Gambit. Yeah, it just made no sense. And, and I mean, at this point, it's ten years of time invested almost. Yeah. In Iron Man. Yeah. Which opened up the Marvel Universe, and it's interesting where they might go. Yeah. Because in the comics, there was um, the Peggy Carter uh, Iron uh, Captain America. There was the Falcon Captain America. Yeah. They just have, I forget the name of the character, the teenage black girl that's now Ironheart, are they calling her? Oh, yeah. She's Iron, the new Iron Man. Yeah. Yeah. So, if they follow the lead of the comics, yeah. you have the potential... For so much more and, and so wide range. Yeah. And then I will go to it because the number 13 most highest grossing movie was X-Men Apocalypse. Which I, I did see. And of the newer X-Men movies, since they kind of redeemed themselves, it's the worst. Hands yes. down, it's the worst. Totally. But that said... It had interesting moments. I love James McAvoy as Xavier. I think he's a great Xavier. I also love, um, what's his name as Magneto? Um, the Fassbender. Michael, Michael Fassbender, Fassbender, who I, the only reason I'm seeing the Assassin's Creed movie, a game series that I was a fan of until they put them out every single year, is because of him. Like, he's in it, and so I'll go see it because I like what Assassin's Creed did in gaming. But the movie I'm confident is going to be crap. But I'll probably still go see it. But I love the two of them together, and I loved I love them in the movies when they're together. I think they both play their characters well. I think Apocalypse is starting to suffer from what a lot of the later X-Men movies did in the first round, is just too much at once. Mm-hmm. I thought the actress who played Storm was brilliant, but we didn't get enough of her. Like, she should have had twice as many lines as she had. I don't love Olivia Munn. I think in most movies, she, I, I don't. I don't personally think she's a great actress. She's acting, so you know, great for her. I hate to knock her, but if she could have done anything, they didn't let her in the movie. She has two lines. She doesn't really do anything. She had the look of Psylocke down. Yeah, she looked great, but with no lines. It's yeah. how, how do you get behind that character? They gave Angel too many lines. I liked the kid playing him, but like he had way more than he needed. Like. It just, it was a confusing mishmash where the only good thing is still, without a doubt, Quicksilver steals the movie. But his scenes are starting to become shtick now. Yeah. Like, that said, him putting on his headphones, listening to Sweet Dreams in the time period for an accurate time period of music, which I am a fan of, and saving everybody's life except Havoc. Spoiler alert. You know, that was a fun scene. You're just scene. ruining everything for I'm everybody. I'm ruining everything for everyone. But, but that that moment was fun. But that said, it was an isolated fun moment that you could have lifted from the movie and it would have been the same movie. I think a big misstep is the fast tracking of Jean Grey to already... Be Phoenix. Have Phoenix and touching into the dark side yeah. of Phoenix for Dark Phoenix it's they're rushing, rushing I, the series also because they want to catch up to Deadpool to eventually do massive crossover stuff again also. See? And I don't get the point of that. You're going to kill it because we know we're getting Cable. Yeah. And there's time travel coming to Deadpool. Um, they also know that they're wrapping up 
um, with Logan, what's his Hugh, face? Is Hugh Jackman as Wolverine. Run. I do want to talk about that a little bit, though. I will say that the the you know another little spoiler, but doing that in what was it? Um, X-Men Days of Future Past where he had a cameo or was it when he was at the Weapon X facility though that was X-23 that was also Apocalypse yeah that was Apocalypse that that was a fun moment yeah Kind of unnecessary, but fun. They just had to have him there because he's been in them all. And and it, 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 it cements the universe, which I do like. But that said, having seen the Logan trailer now... And so, yes, this is the first rated R Wolverine movie that's coming out. It's also the last time Hugh Jackman's playing the role. And they're doing the X-23 storyline. And the storyline where a lot of the mutants are dead, a lot of humans are dead, and it's this kind of dystopian world. It could just be the brilliant framing of the trailer. It could be the brilliant editing or the sound design. But I'm very excited for that movie. First of all, putting Johnny Cash's version of Hurt over that trailer, someone needs a medal in Fox's department because that was probably the smartest thing they could have ever done. But I'm excited to see this character come to an end, at least with this actor playing him, in an old age moment. The Old Man Logan comics were very good, very interesting because they were very different. And I think this movie has the potential to do that also because it looks, by the trailer, like it's going to be more drama than action. And God help me, I hope that's true. I th- And I think being allowed to be an R-rated Wolverine movie, being the character with adamantium, strongest metal in the world, claws in his hands, that all he should be doing is dismembering people. Yeah. I think Hugh Jackman's going to love playing in that sandbox. Yeah. And giving it the send-off it needs. Yeah. Especially after X-Men Origins and even the Wolverine. Yeah. Where it got a little really very badly weird. Yeah. I think that it, it'll be a nice end to the movie. I love the way Hugh Jackman and Patrick Stewart play off each other. They've always been very good together. And it'll just be nice. And and essentially, they could be removing Wolverine from the movies altogether. In X-23, this young girl in this movie, and I'm sure an older woman will play her when she's of age to be a member of the X-Men, it's kind of like a passing of the torch, which I think is really cool. And even if they do bring someone else in younger to play Wolverine later on, you know, I, 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 you know, besides Spider-Man, X-Men was the one of the first comic book movies I saw. Not counting Blade, because at the time I saw it, I honestly didn't nobody know. Knew. Nobody knew. But, like, Hugh Jackman's my Wolverine. Just like, you know, um, there's a place in my heart where what's-his-name will always be my Batman. Um, there, um, there's six guys that I know, so but like the original actor. Adam West. Um, no, not Adam West. After. Um, Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton. Michael Keaton will always be my Batman just because, like, that first Batman movie was mind-blowing for the time. Well, that's what I keep trying to tell people now. Yeah. The youngins, like my 17-year-old nephew. I saw Superman in the theater in 77. Mm-hmm. I was two or three. The next Superman was three years later. Right. I didn't see the others in the theater. Right. Because my father wasn't going to subject himself to him. But then you get... Batman, and even with those, you got Batman in 89, and the next one, I think, was 92. Mm -hmm. To think that we had five superhero movies this year? Yeah. I had to wait ten years of my life to see five superhero movies. Yeah. So it's... Do you think, as a society, we're reaching a fatigue of them, where it's... 
the idea, like, I think we're all on board with Marvel because we know they're, even though there's... The world building is really good. There's pockets of each story, but there's always the overall arc leading you to the next step. Yeah. DC is trying, not succeeding, but they're doing what they have to. Do we need any more? So, I mean, that's an interesting question. Well, for, first of all, are we reaching superhero fatigue? Yes. I think from mainstream, like I know my wife who loves comic books. She's an avid comic book reader, but can only take so much superheroes in comic books because comic books are more than that, have always been more than that. Like they were superheroes, but th- since comic books started, there have been comic books about other stuff. I think she's hit her fatigue. Like I had to convince her to see Doctor Strange, which she enjoyed once we went to see it. But she wasn't gung-ho about it. She's gung-ho about Guardians of the Galaxy because she loved the first one. But, like, she's hit a point where, you know, there's a lot. And, like, I wanted to see Suicide Squad. I never got around to it. And I don't often go to the movies by myself. Um, I like movies as a community thing. And so, uh, and she had no desire to see that. And I don't blame her because it looks terrible. It probably was terrible. And that's it. But, like, I think that we are hitting superhero move fatigue, and the only way we can compensate is to stop making superhero movies and start making superhero spy movies, superhero sci-fi movies, superhero dramas. Basically Su- what Marvel is doing. Doing. You know, like they made that joke about on SNL, the Black Widow romantic comedy superhero movie. But honestly, if they later on made a romantic comedy movie with Spider-Man and Mary Jane... I would watch that. I would absolutely watch that. You know, it's this idea that these movies can be more than that, and Marvel gets that, and they're trying where they can, but everyone else is clueless. Like, I hope to, to hope, 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 upon hope that there is a third Hellboy movie to finish out that trilogy, mostly because I just love Ron Perlman. Yes. But also because. You know, Guillermo del Toro is also another filmmaker who understands, I can make a genre film, but I can also throw a bajillion other things at it. Like, the reason I still, to this day, defend Pacific Rim is because it wasn't just a smashing monster movie. At the end of the day, that's what it was. But there were nuances of drama and other things in that movie that gave it a a heart and a strength that a lot of other big monster movies don't get. They, They built the human characters other than just cannon fodder. Yeah. And, and so I think, yes, we're hitting a fatigue, but I think Marvel, at least at this point, is still immune to that fatigue because they're trying different things. I think it's getting, it's building, but they can push through it better than anybody else because they are offering other things. I will only say, I think the Fox, Sony, mm-hmm. Marvel films, with Homecoming, we're going to get Spider-Man drawn into the bigger universe. Yeah. But with X-Men and, God forbid, another Fantastic Four... They, those definitely have hit their fatigue. But they, they have the stamp of Marvel yeah. on the front. People recognize them as Marvel well, comic movies, characters. Yeah, yeah. If you are not a Marvel reader... Yeah. Or know that, oh yes, it's Marvel, but it's not Marvel yeah. Studios... There's going to be bleed over where the casual, right. if there is such a thing anymore, fan... Is just going to say, I can't do it anymore. Right. And the thing is that's interesting, though, is that Hugh Jackman's gone on record saying he wants to play in the Marvel Soundbox. He said he wants to be Wolverine in an Avengers film. Who knows if that'll ever happen? I think that would be the coolest thing ever, is to have him in that. But that said, 
Fox is starting to sh- right the ship with Dare- with Deadpool, but now with the the thing I'm afraid of with the Logan movies, that they're slapping rated R onto it so they can just make it gory. Yeah. And I don't want that. Like I said, if the drama conveyed in that trailer is the tone of the entire movie, it could be my favorite comic book movie of all time because that's what I'm missing is a a very heavy, deep, dark drama that happens to have superheroes in it. And that's what it's shaping up to be. Just like Deadpool was essentially a slapstick cartoon that happened to have superheroes in it. And unfortunately, a lot of reshoots were shot on Suicide Squad based on the success of Deadpool. And it, But it just, I heard it tanked the movie. Yeah, it didn't it, help at all. And that's the problem is, I think there was somebody put in charge at the DC Studios to have that Kevin Feige role yeah. of, no, we, we need a through line of, yeah. this is our core, yeah. build everything off of this. And, and I, Kevin Smith said it on Fat Man on Batman, and I can't pull the name out of my head right now. Yeah. But um, was it Berlanti? No, he's all the TV. But anyway. Which is the only thing DC is doing, right? Yeah, and everybody who's watched it, I have not jumped on board yet. Although I've heard anything on the CW verse, yeah. they just did the major crossover. The, it's been, with with uh, Legends of Tomorrow being the weakest link. It's all been phenomenal. I mean, the Flash feels like old school Buffy in the sense that it's a monster of the week. There's a lesson to be learned, and there's humor. Oh, you just sold me on it more than anybody else. That's that's exactly why I love it. Um, although I haven't watched the newer seasons because CW's been finicky about letting their stuff go back onto Hulu, which has been a problem. But um, the Supergirl first two seasons was phenomenal. Absolutely incredible. And then, you know, Arrow... I, I hit bumps in the road with Arrow, but I really like Stephen Amell. He charms me, even though his character is fairly, or was fairly one-dimensional. But it's got a great supporting cast, and, and, and it's fun. But, but like, if I rec- were to recommend any of them, I would recommend Flash and then Supergirl. Because Supergirl, it, it's, it's great feminist values without being preachy. It's good TV without being preachy. Not that we don't need preachy, because we do at this point. I think to a point, but it's not about the message. The message comes naturally from the writing. Well, that's... that's Which is exactly what Luke Cage did as well. Like, the the messaging comes naturally from the writing. You don't have to get on a high horse. The message is strong enough on its own. I did see some people on that high horse uh, on the opposite side, fighting that that was the message. And it makes no sense. Yeah. And so I, I love what DC is doing in TV, but they just refuse to acknowledge it for the movies, and I think that's where they're going to sink. Um, you know, that said, uh, you know, before we wrap up, um, tell me a little bit about on the top 10, since you have it in front of you, what's not Disney, Star Wars, Marvel, or superhero? The, oh, well, The Secret Life of Pets. Okay. Or animation. Oh, nothing. Yeah. And so that, I find, is really interesting Well, it's now. comfort. It's the stuff we're familiar with. Right. Like, you could step into any cartoon. Yeah. And be... Just let it take over you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I'll say in both... Well, Secret Life of Pets a little less, but with Zootopia, there was message, there was... Yeah. For sure. A lot to go over. I think my biggest my biggest issue with that is that's where I'm finding the fatigue, is that movies like Arrival, which not enough people are talking about, which I saw and was incredible, 
like those movies are falling behind. Your moons, your uh, you know, or not Interstellar because that actually got a bigger big following. But a lot of your thinking movies, or not even thinking movies, but just movies that aren't action movies or or la- of comedies, like those movies are tending to fall to the wayside. Arrival, gu- guns are fired twice. And you don't see them being fired. You only hear them. Guns are drawn once, and there's one explosion. Everything else is narrative. And there's not enough of that. Well, I can tell you that I believe it's usually that would be during award season, which we're just entering within like the last two weeks. Right. And in the olden days of 2013... Yeah. That's what you would go and expect to see on Christmas Day or some weird comedy. Uh, I can point to a year ago this weekend with Star Wars Episode 7. Yeah. Where now uh, the tentpole movies that were always confined to about an eight-week window in the summer... Are now... Are now Christmas movies because... You know, we opened our gifts. We don't want to talk to each other anymore. We need to go to the theater and do something as a group that's not as a group. (laughs) So I I think it might be pushed back a little more. I think especially like with what The Revenant was where you need word of mouth. Yeah. Well, I think also part of it is now because they're trying to put out, since Marvel has this 10-year plan, they're trying to hit these tent poles. They have two movies a year. One right before the summer, one right before Christmas. So it can get the summer rush and it can get the Christmas rush. And, you know, Fox has been doing the same thing. Uh, you know, uh, so has um, DC, you know. they. I mean, almost in the same exact months to the point where Luke Cage... Or no, it wasn't Luke Cage. It was whatever came out last year. Or Daredevil Season 2 came out the same weekend as Batman vs. Superman. Yes. Uh, Daredevil Season came out on Netflix. And so, like, the competition has just shifted in a way where... Yeah, I feel like a lot of non-property... I think that's where the fatigue is the most. New IP movies, like that's what Arrival was. It was based on a short story, but it's a new IP. It's never been a movie before. And even that is not necessarily a new IP because it is a book. Like, those movies are fewer and far between. And that, I think... I miss... Inceptions and Finding like a, that rare, like weird something just to happen that's not that's part its own of an story. Yeah. yeah, unfortunately, when you look at the numbers, right, that's not what's selling. People went to see a Finding Nemo sequel that was nowhere near the quality of the first one, uh, unsurprising to me, but it's familiar. You yeah. went to the fifth movie that Captain America has been in. Because it's familiar, it's all the yeah. faces you want to see. You're not going to have the bigger, like, studios want to invest. And when you see that Buena Vista Studios, Disney Studios, have five of the top ten movies making, like, three billion dollars total. Yeah. You're not, they're not going to have reason not to be that. And that used to be their Miramax Studios to do the smaller weird movies. Right. They haven't owned them in a couple of years. And I think even more so now, and it's going to sound weird, in a crowdfunding world yeah, where people who wouldn't necessarily have to go find that funding, get their film made, but can throw something together and sign their own deal with Netflix, that will get streaming. Yeah. You'll find more of your weird cultish things to end up Online and the way we consume media now 
it's as good as any other way. That's true. I mean, I spend more time checking my uh, YouTube schedule releases than actual network TV anymore. I watch almost exclusively vlogs and, like, online reviews. First hour and a half, I'm home from work. Yeah, same. I watch, you know, Let's Players and game reviewers and game theorists and all sorts of interesting um a, a recent guest on the crash court podcast and a previous guest on crash court's autographs mike ragnetta is the host of pbs idea channel which if you've not watched it i recommend i've seen some yes. and so like that's what i watch because that's where i get a lot of cool information i do some learning i get educated and, and i get to have fun watching it too and so like that's where i'm going for stuff um like i'll just say since you're a music person, do you know the band We the Kings? Yes, of course. Their bassist, Charles Trippy, has the longest running daily vlog on YouTube mm-hmm. of over eight years. Yep. CTFXC. And he's just interesting because I guess about three years ago, he started having seizures mm-hmm. and they discovered this huge tumor in his brain. And the man vlogged. His brain surgery, because yeah. he was going to be awake. Yeah. And you can watch it on his YouTube channel. And it, it's the the recovery and the survival and the fact that during this, he went through a divorce and yeah. met somebody else and got engaged. And just... It's a really human story, yeah. And it's something you're not going to get... In a movie. In a movie. And even if you find a documentary that covers something like it, you'll get a 90-minute chunk that was spread over two or three years and not 15 minutes a day. And yes, some of it's manufactured and you're not getting genuine moments because nobody's ever going to always put their worst foot forward. Right, sure. But still, with his vlog, you're not only following a a fairly successful musician who goes on world tours, and then he's also a successful vlogger, so he's part of that community going to those conventions and meeting those other people... You have his medical stuff, and, you know, they're charming people. Yeah. So well, it's it's different media, and it's something I wouldn't have considered, and I know I'm not the target audience. Right. You know, I'm supposed to be watching one of the CSIs, I think, <laughs> and in my boxers somewhere. But, like, that's compelling. And the Shaytards, because of their success, which then went on to... Insane success when Disney bought the studio that they yeah. put together. How much longer do you want to go? Because I have one other movie I want to ask you about. Yeah, we can we can keep going. We, right. we can wrap it up after that. Right. So there was one other big story in movies that was barely about the movie this year. Right. And it was the the remake, reboot, whatever you want to call it, of the Ghostbusters. Right. And... It was a very interesting butting heads of social justice, social media, and content. Yeah. Did you see the Ghostbusters movie? I did not. All right. I did. Okay. And just for the record, I did not not see it. I I didn't decide not to see it because I had a problem with it. I was actually excited to see it um, when I heard about it. Um, But I just... Through timing and just, I just never got around to seeing it. And, you know, uh, uh, drama aside, like, I just wanted to see a good movie. I didn't care if it was a remake or a reboot or whatever it was. I just wanted to see four funny ladies be funny in a fun movie. 
and I didn't get to. And so I don't have any opinions on it other than... The controversy. Right. Which sucks, because it shouldn't be about the controversy. It should be about the movie. It's... I will say, I was a huge fan of the original Ghostbusters. I'm a huge comedy movie fan. Right. Um, I will say, Ghostbusters 2, aside from Vigo, I don't necessarily need that movie either. Yeah, right, sure. So even the originals messed up the idea of the original movie. Sure. Um, I... Kristen Wiig, I, I saw... I loved her on SNL. Mm-hmm. I went to see um, Bridesmaids. Mm-hmm. Her sense of humor in that movie made me incredibly uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. In that it was her character was meant to be awkward, so every joke was had, held about five seconds, uh-huh. a little too long. And I know that's what the effect they were going for. Right. But maybe it's because I'm an empathetic type person. It made me so uncomfortable, I couldn't stand it. Okay. So... I, I was nervous because her cinematic roles mm-hmm. weren't as strong as what I saw in SNL. And I'll even say with um, Anchorman, Will, Will Ferrell. Yeah. I have not liked any of his movies except uh, Stranger Than Fiction, which was totally against what he the character did, he created. Yeah. Adam Sandler, I think everybody currently is at my fatigue level oh, yeah. from 10 years ago. Yes. So it's very weird, even though I like comedy movies, wide, broad, absurd comedy Mm -hmm. isn't always my thing. And I went in hoping for the best, and it really wasn't... There was a lot of farting humor, which Mm -hmm. was never my thing. Um, Leslie Jones' first line in the movie mentions a bathroom and that was the punchline mm-hmm. and it made me it's like this isn't what like when i'm looking for funny when i'm yeah. looking for this that's not what it was i will say however i went i i wanted to be informed i i put my faith in funny people yeah um paul feig i know he's funny i wanted to see what he could do movie wasn't my thing um there was a lot of controversy with people announcing that they weren't going to review it. Right. Like the angry video game new nerd, nerd. yeah. Which probably wasn't the best step for him to do. No, for sure not. A- and he could have said, I'm, I don't have interest, instead yeah. of, I'm taking a stand and not. Yeah. The problem then became having... Not being on board with what the movie ended up. And I don't like every movie I go see. Right, of course. And I have the right to not like every movie I go see. Yeah. But to be lumped into the the online petition writing, social yeah. justice warrior, Mennonite, men's rights, whatever you want to call them. Yeah. Because I didn't enjoy this movie, it, it, it bothers me that there had to be such a heavy cause put on something that should have just been a fun, mindless movie. Yeah. And I went and saw it at a drive-in with Star Trek Beyond, mm-hmm. which was fun. Didn't enjoy it as much as I enjoyed the first one either. Right. But it, it, it's, it was a mindless movie that I could shrug off. Right. But 
there there were people who were saying how it girls need these heroes and they showed pictures of young girls on the red carpet looking at Kristen Wiig with yeah. bright eyes it's like I, I appreciate that you say that needs to be there but when it's like Sausage Party Sausage yeah. Party was awful I'm sure it was my girlfriend wanted to see it I was being a good boyfriend <laughs> There are people trying to put weight to that movie that it's this expose on people's blind faith in religion. It's like, no. They want to say dick jokes. And yes, that was a part of it, but that was a means to an end to get to where they want in the story. Yeah. Which I'm going to spoil, because if you watch it, we'll spoil a lot more. <coughs> Ends with the food drugging all of the people in the supermarket so they can see them. Then killing all those people, then having a bisexual orgy with all of the food, everything banging everyone yeah. for about 10 minutes. And, and that was the feel good ending. And it was just very weird. And now somebody's trying to, <coughs> from the New York Times, is trying to give it this weight. Yeah. And it's like sometimes a movie just got to be a movie. Yeah, I mean, I think my 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 hesitance to see Ghostbusters was the hype and the and the insanity. I mean, you know, maybe I should have put more weight on seeing it, but there were other movies I wanted to see at the time. But that's the summer. That's but, how it happens. Yeah, but I think that yeah, it's a shame that. Well, it's also a shame that yeah, people want to have an opinion about the movie and they can't because of all the uh, the problem is terrible people will always be louder than not terrible people. Um, if you're insulted by me saying that, I'm sorry. But it, it's true. Like, the loudest voice is often the most immature, irrational voice. And that's the problem with something like that. And I've not seen it yet. I do want to see it. I probably will soon now that it's out on uh, Blu-ray. But, you know, I I just wish that, like, I mean, I watch Shape of the Dark Lord day after day engage the trolls and try and fight them and, and, and failing because they're trolls. And it's... It's a shame that, that a movie had to do that. Like, that we're still arguing about, oh, well, women shouldn't be playing this role, or men shouldn't be playing this role, or, or, or you know, a black person shouldn't be the lead of a movie. Like, th these conversations are so... Like, it, it, there should be way more diversity and understanding than there is in, in media period now, and there's not. And it's a shame. And it affects everything. The problem is now, especially when you get to the level that you want to be in the top ten movies of the year... It's not art. It's product. Yeah. Because you have to link it to the ice cream cone, then sell the toy, then yeah. buy the T-shirt, and then it, it, it needs to expand out until you have the ride at Epcot Center. Yeah. And that's unfortunate. And you do need the voices in the darkness. You do need yeah. the weird, creative, fringe people. Yeah. And that's why not everything needs to be in the top ten. I mean, we yeah. can go to... Oh, I was going to say, we go to number 95, Nine Lives, but nobody should see that movie. Okay. Um, Keanu, Blair Witch. I've, I've heard Keanu was supposed to be pretty good, but Ke yeah. But still, you. I was trying to look for something a little more independent, but maybe... I don't. Uh, there's not as many independent movies as there used to be, unfortunately, or ones that are... I, well, I can tell you the biggest surprise for me was number 67, The Nice Guys. Oh, wow. Did you see that? I didn't. I heard good things, it though. It was such a fun, weird movie. Yeah. Um... I know the writer-director's name is Black. I can't remember the first name. Kevin Black? No, because everybody's a Kevin now in media. Yeah. But he, he 
did Kiss Kiss Bang Bang. He even did Spider-Man 3, which a yeah. lot of people didn't like. Yeah. But it, it's this weird late 70s buddy cop movie. and I remember seeing the trailers for it. It looked really interesting. And I, I like when Russell Crowe does interesting things. When yeah. he's mainstream, it's less exciting. But when he does interesting things, same with um, um, Ryan Gosling. I've also liked him. Like, I loved him in, uh, what was that movie? Young Hercules. No. Well, he was. Is in Young Hercules. Hercules. No, the, he did this movie um, where he... Oh, uh, Drive. Well, Drive, which I thought was fantastic because it was interesting and unique. The, the, and so I think my final point on movies in general, and especially movies in 2016, is I feel like I saw a lot less of them because I felt like I saw a lot of them already, even if I didn't, like your Kung Fu Panda 3 or your, you know, whatever, like your, your Suicide Squad or Jason Bourne. Like, these are movies that... I've seen before, even if I haven't seen before. They're all part of the cacophony. And They're so, just there. And so it all bleeds together, you know. Um, I appreciate you coming on, Gary. Um, it's nice to talk about something besides music or you know. my guest for a change. It's nice to engage in a conversation with my guest that's about other things. I'm available at your beck and call oh, well, if you I ever appreciate have other that. things. Well, thank you. I appreciate uh, that. Um, I will say if you enjoyed hearing me, I have all of my information and the weirdness that is my life at itsgaryo.com. The it's is a part of it. It's GaryO.com. And uh, you're Gary underscore O on Twitter. Yes. And, um, you know, I, I do, I actually do enjoy talking to you quite a bit. And it was one of my favorite things about catching up with you after not seeing you for long periods of time at social events like burlesque shows or concerts is that we would just binge talk, as it were, about all the nerdy so things. So not healthy. Not so healthy not, at all. Look at how much we vomited information <laughs> just now. I know. This is probably my longest episode of the year. Yes, yeah, I'm a winner. Um, but, oh, that hurt. <laughs> but, Gary, thank you for coming on the show um i appreciate you taking the time and uh i would like you to do my sign off from the other show and this show if you could end our broadcast by just doing my favorite words in life music is life and life is good music is life and life is good if you enjoyed these interviews please subscribe to this and the crash chords podcast on itunes where you can also rate us and review us you can also like us on facebook follow us on twitter at crash chords web our tumblr and our youtube channel if you have any questions or comments, feel free to post in the comment area below each post. And keep the discussion going, because remember, music is life, and life is good.